law, policy, and markets. There are certain airlines that will get through this and certain airlines that won't get through it. There will definitely be consolidation. There will definitely be acquisitions. There will be liquidations. The landscape will be a lot different in a year or two than we have now. Welcome to Millbank Conversations. I'm Alan Marks. Today, I'm joined by Drew Fine, a partner in Millbank's Transportation and Space Group, based in New York. Let's get to it. Drew, welcome. Appreciate it, Alan. I'm glad to be here. Well, thanks for the opportunity. You know, it's fascinating. In my practice, I do a lot of work on airports and other infrastructure. You work with airlines and aircraft finance, and there's an overlap in COVID-19 situation because the economy has caused rapid and kind of unexpected changes, both to airports and airline operations worldwide. What are the kinds of things you're focusing on right now? It's really an environment unlike any we've ever seen before. You have a situation where you have virtually no revenue for the airlines at all. We've kind of gone through this with 9-11. We went through this with the credit crisis, but there's nothing even remarkably or remotely like this. This is really unprecedented. So we're looking to fix all these things, and it's all going to take a while. So I like that. It it assumes that it's all fixable. Let's look at airlines first uh, in a moment. And we'll look at the revenue first and then maybe look at cost and move from there. But if you just look at the revenue of an airline, how dramatic has this reduction been in the last several months? It's really gone down to almost zero. I use 9-11 as kind of probably the closest comparable. You know, after 9-11, aerospace was closed for about a week. And then it was a matter of getting potential passengers to the point where they're comfortable flying, thinking that there's not going to be a terrorist attack. But here with COVID-19, not only do we effectively have aviation shut down, but we have to convince passengers that they can fly without getting a virus. And we don't know how long that's going to take. It's not just a matter of terrorists, it's a virus, and it could take months or longer. And I think kind of as we saw in 9-11, there are two different things happening there. One is people actually being safe. The other is people feeling safe, which I suspect has a lot to do with you know, discretionary travel for tourists or business travel and business policies, you know, the airlines are going to be dealing with that perception a lot longer than they are the actual safety. Absolutely. And it's going to be the goal to get people back in the seats. And people are realizing right now that they don't have to fly, that you don't have to go on vacations and business travelers can do conference calls, they can do Zoom meetings. So until people are comfortable that they're not going to get sick, they're just not going to fly. So when you look at airline economics and you look at the cost side of the equation, you know, some of their costs are variable. So if they have fewer flights, they'll use less fuel, for instance. If you look at them, it's, it's funny. I always thought of an airline as basically a business that paid for planes and also hired people to fly them. On their cost side, I guess about a third of it is fuel. Maybe a third is labor. A third is other stuff. The airplanes themselves are really not all that expensive compared to everything else. Most of that third that's other stuff consists of OEM spare parts and uh, maintenance repair and overhaul, especially engine maintenance. I guess you could say aircraft engines are kind of like printers. You know, the engine may not cost as much with the airframe, but the maintenance of spare parts for 25 years certainly have a lot of cost associated with them. Just like when you buy a printer, it may not be expensive, but the toner, that's going to set you back. How able are the airlines to cut costs given the lack of revenue? They're cutting costs a lot, but they have a long way to go. You'll see a couple of the U.S. major airlines are saying they're burning $50 million every day. That means every day they're losing $50 million 
One airline just announced that by the end of the year, they intend to cut that to zero. So they intend to kind of right size. But basically, as you correctly said, they're using a lot less fuel because 90% of all flights are canceled. And also the fuel that they are using is a lot less expensive just because the cost of fuel per barrel has come down. There are certainly some cuts in labor costs, but there's also been some things they've had to do in order to satisfy some of the government support. Like in the U.S., in order to take some of the government support, they weren't able to uh, furlough or lay off employees, at least for a while, while they're getting that support. But there definitely has been some cuts in there in labor costs. But yes, a lot of the, the costs are fixed, resulting in this major burn per day. I suppose one of the challenges for the airlines, too, is maintaining their capacity. So, for instance, you know, you can park planes. You may have to still maintain them to some extent, but you're not needing as many spare parts because you're not using them as much. Staff is different. If you lose flight attendants, if you lose pilots, rehiring and retraining a workforce, you know, three, six months from now is going to be a pretty hard thing to do. How are they balancing that need to preserve their capacity to create revenue in the future? against being able to mothball what they have? Yeah, well, one of the great things about the the CARES Act in in the United States is that not only did it preserve jobs, but it also preserved exactly what you are talking about with keeping some of the infrastructure in place. In some of the um, countries where the governments have been a little bit less supportive, they just had to lay off loads of people. And then they're going to have to effectively rebuild an airline when it's time to resume flights again. They're going to have to rehire Some of those people might have gone in other directions. It's not that easy. Let's take a snapshot of government assistance right now. And I know it's a constantly evolving picture. I'm struck that there are countries like the United States where airlines are privately held, yet the government has really come in quickly and in a a large way to try to inject capital to stabilize their situation. There are other countries, including some with, you know, national flag carriers that have strong government backing, where the governments have been slower to come in, or at least you know, have not yet taken concrete steps to preserve those carriers. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, so the United States has been incredibly accommodating for the airline industry. And it's very similar to what they did after 9-11 with the ATSB. They have provided both outright grants and also loans. And the overall support in the CARES Act was approximately $61 billion, both for the airlines and also airline support areas. In Europe and Latin America, the amount has been very inconsistent as to what the governments are willing to provide. The the reality of it is that different governments have both different resources and they also have different philosophies and different priorities. Um, In some countries, they just don't have the money to give out to airlines. In some countries, they have the money, but the the philosophy is different. Kind of what you were alluding to, they're not really that interested in, in supporting private airlines. There's just a philosophy against doing so. And it's difficult because when you have no revenue and you have your cost structure, you need help from a lot of areas and the government is one of them. So if you, if you wanted to look in the future, and I know it's hard to know what's going to happen at all in these uncertain times, but predict comparing airlines to other industries is this a situation where the very strongest ones will survive? They'll get the government backing, perhaps, or even without that, eventually they will be able to maybe buy up the weaker carriers and have even more market consolidation. I know in other industries, we're starting to see that perhaps. And in some recessions, that's not unusual. And then, of course, the more vulnerable carriers may just you know fall away and not be able to survive. And if that happens, what would be the effect on 
airfares and everything else and networks from that kind of consolidation? So we already have airline bankruptcies. There's been every few days is there's another airline going bankrupt, mostly smaller ones, mostly in countries that haven't supported the airlines, although there's been three airline bankruptcies in the United States. So it's going to be an airline by airline basis determination. There are certain airlines that will get through this and certain airlines that won't get through it. There will definitely be consolidation. There will definitely be acquisitions. There will be liquidations. The landscape will be a lot different in a year or two than we have now. Kind of getting to airfares, there's got to be a strong desire to get people to flying again. You know, safety is obviously the number one concern, but you know, cost is a factor. And there will be a lot of consumers that if they feel kind of safe enough, they, they will get back on the flights. But the airlines are going to have to right-size themselves. The airlines who think that everything's going to come back to how it used to be, pre-COVID-19 are, are probably in a dreamland. And the ones who kind of recognize that, you know, maybe they're going to be two-thirds of what they are now. Maybe they're going to be half of what they are now. If they can appropriate right-size themselves and they get the right support from the government, from their lessors and from their financiers, then they can survive. So if you see that play back then on the revenue mix, we'll double back to that. And the airlines are you know, usually trying to drive down that cost per plane to passenger, obviously boosting premium passengers who pay more. I know this from our airport finance practice, you know, looking at the amount of square footage given over to premium passengers, to lounges, to special check-in areas. You know, are some of those trends going to change when you know, this new normal takes effect? Yeah, no, absolutely. Airlines will continue to look at their best customers, the, the ones that are in their loyalty programs to, to stay with them. But I, I think that there's going to be a, a new battle as airlines kind of disappear and there's consolidation. There will be a lot of kind of potential passengers who are kind of up for grabs. So there'll be a new type of competition among airlines. It's different in different countries. In, in some countries, there really only is one major airline or two major airlines. United States is obviously a lot of major airlines, although less than several years ago. But the, the landscape will be different and it will be kind of driven by how much consolidation we have and, and which airlines make the right decisions. So if I'm an airline CEO listening to that, I'm going to have a certain takeaway about how I have to innovate to compete in a different world. If I'm an airline passenger hearing that and I don't live in, like you and I do, New York and LA or a major market, I might be worried about the continuity of air service to secondary hubs, to minor markets that aren't, you know, always as well served. Is that a real risk? And are the government programs going to do anything to try to mandate that kind of service as a condition to some of the support? Yeah, so the CARES Act already provides for some of that and, and is making sure that certain routes you know, stay in service. But if the size of the airline is going to reduce, if, there's, if, if you're going to be two-thirds of what you are today, and they're going to look at the most profitable routes, then yes, there's, there's going to be some routes that are kind of either going to be redundant or reduced or, or otherwise. So it, I, I think that some of the things you have when things are robust, when things are rosy, when you can kind of make accommodations, you're not going to necessarily have in the next, next generation. We, we've seen this before. You know, there's got to be some people who are disappointed that their direct flight from point A to point B is not there anymore and they have to apply it through a hub. It's not like people aren't going to have service. They might just not be as convenient as they are today. Well, my high-speed rail developer clients are going to be happy to hear that. Uh, let's look for a second at airline manufacturers, because obviously you, a lot of your practice has been financing of aircraft. 
how are the Boeing and Airbus and others dealing with this? And what do you see the government's role being to uh, help preserve that manufacturing capacity? Yeah, that's a very interesting topic. Well, let's start with Boeing. Uh, they were already struggling or having a lot of issues related to the Boeing MAX groundings. And then COVID-19 comes along and makes things even more complicated for them. There were people who were kind of questioning where they were going to go from here and how much the U.S. government was going to support them. I think the, the general feeling is that the U.S. government will always support them, which is too important of an industry, both in terms of employment and otherwise. One of our biggest exports uh, that we have in the entire country is, is aircraft. Boeing put out a spectacular bond offering a couple weeks ago where they sold uh, $25 billion of bonds, which has put them on very strong footing going forward. It was a total home run for them. And you know, people kind of questioning their viability, I, th I think, have kind of put that to rest. And uh, they hit the timing right, and they, they hit the maturities right, they hit the pricing right, and that will really help them a lot. So I think for Boeing, obviously, getting out of COVID-19 is going to be key. Getting the MAX up and running is going to be key. Airbus has most of the same issues. They don't have the MAX issue, of course, but they have a lot of the same issues. And they are um, likewise um, getting some support from the government. And I think over time, you know, they were probably in a slightly better position than Boeing was going into this. And they will certainly be a survivor. What one casualty of this all was Boeing's proposed consolidation with Embraer, the Brazilian regional aircraft manufacturer. They were effectively going to be merged together. And, and that was called off by Boeing. And when you look at lessors, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that the airlines don't always buy their own planes. They most often will lease them from somebody else who's buying them. How are they impacted by this with these planes not flying? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a really good question. You know, in order for the airlines to survive, they need support from both government, from financiers, and from lessors. And the lessors lease approximately 45% of all planes. So 45% of all planes globally are leased from aircraft leasing companies. About 80% of all airlines have asked for rent deferrals for three months or more on their leases. So right now, the leasing companies are doing without a lot of the rent that they normally would receive to try to accommodate the airlines so the airlines can exist. The aircraft leasing companies are generally financial institutions. They're able to absorb these types of hits over limited periods of time. It's kind of their ordinary course of business for them, whether it be 9-11, whether it be the credit crisis or COVID-19, they know every 10 years they're going to have a really dramatic event and they're generally prepared for it. So there will also be a consolidation among the leasing companies for sure, but the stronger ones are at least appear right now to be on, on sound financial footing and prepare for these types of circumstances. If you look at how much runway, if you pardon the pun, we have here, you mentioned that the lessors have a certain amount of time that they can weather the storm. The airlines maybe, you know, are, are more thinly capitalized, not able to do that, but the governments are stepping in to try to, you know, build that bridge to get through this rough period. Certainly, you know, airport operators I know are, are having, you know, different issues depending on their markets. But at some point, uncertainty and depressed travel volumes are going to test the patients economically of manufacturers, of lessors, and of, and of airlines. How, do you see, how much runway do you think they each have and which one might fall first? Yeah, well, the airlines are the ones that will fall first because they're, you know, when you're in a business where you have no revenue, you know, at, at some point it, it's very difficult. The bottom line is that the third part of the equation has been financiers. 
And without the financiers, we also uh, wouldn't have the runway that we have today. Now, over the last six weeks, we have been involved with approximately $25 billion of liquidity financings for American, Delta, United, and other U.S. and non-U.S. airlines. And that 20 to $25 billion has been critical in terms of having runway. If you're burning you know, $50 million a day, that means every 20 days, that's a billion dollars. You just have to raise billions of dollars to kind of get through this. But I, I think the feeling is that if an airline is able to borrow money, get liquidity financings, get debt deferrals, get lessor deferrals, and get government subsidies, they have a long runway for, for kind of the U.S. major airlines and other major airlines. To the extent that an airline can't get one or more of those components, then they're going to have a rough time going and the runway is going to run out pretty quickly. And that's why we're going to see you know, plenty of airline bankruptcies over the coming weeks. So, Drew, at the end of the day, if we look out 12 months from now, are you fundamentally optimistic or pessimistic about where the airline sector will be? In 12 months, I'm optimistic. It's going to be really rough over the next few months. But as I noted earlier, we've gone through this before. It's not exactly this, but 9-11 had many elements of this. The credit crisis has many elements of this. It's part of the business. It happens periodically. The big airlines prepare for it. The lessors prepare for it. The lenders prepare for it. We can get through it. We have to get passengers back flying. But if passengers are back flying in, say, the fall, and you know we get to the point where we're at 50% capacity, then 75% capacity, the bottom line is that a lot of things are going to have to change. But with those changes, we will have success. And that's why over a period of a year, I'm optimistic. Drew, thank you very much. I know you're busy. I really appreciate you taking the time today to, to talk about it. My pleasure. And thanks for having me, Alan. Okay. Be well. Thanks. You too. Thank you for joining us for another Millbank Conversation. We trust you find our expertise and insights compelling. Learn more at millbank.com.